weekend, folks. It's Monday, March the 30th, and that means one thing. I'm up at the crack of dawn doing another episode of Waken Up with Danny. You know, people ask me why I do this show, and my answer is always the same. Who are you? How did you get into my bedroom? Where are my clothes? Why am I shackled like this? Their answer is always the same as they look down at me deviously from above. Your fears are my fears. I saw you from across the street. I showed myself in. You'll understand. They always understand. In the end, when I'm done. Slowly my fear intensified as instrument after instrument was pulled from a small black doctor's bag. Sound of coughing and death echoed from a room down the hall. What happened out there? I pleaded. There was no answer. Face covered by some bloody rag where just the eyes were showing, my new visitor looked down at me and I could surmise something from the shape of the eyes and the posture of this person. They were crying. What do you want? I asked, as everyone naturally comes to ask when they're in this scenario. All the fears and thoughts bubble up and can join into this very question as it just touches the tip of the iceberg to capture the confusion of exactly what is happening. Coldly, the figure replies so matter of fact, it's as if they've pondered the answer to this question their entire life. I want your pain. It says. Well, it got its wish. Thunderstorms brought the equivalent of seven years of rain to Chile's Atacama Desert region and caused deadly flooding Thursday. Antofagasta, Chile, where the annual average precipitation is 0.13 inches, saw 0.9 inches of rain in 12 hours. These torrential rains caused the Copiapo River in northern Chile to overflow and kill at least nine people while simultaneously knocking out power, making roadways impassable, and leaving 19 people missing. Thousands evacuated after officials warned of mudslides in the normally parched region. Again, a significant change in the weather pattern is anticipated for much of the old United States during the middle of April. The pattern change could bring some rain and some chillier conditions to California and the southwest, snow for the high country in the Sierra Nevada and the Rockies, and colder weather for Alaska. This is all according to the AccuWeather long-range meteorologists. The pattern change could erase the persistent chill in the northeast. The number of days with near to above average warmth could outnumber the chillier than average days in much of the mid-Atlantic, central Appalachians, and the Ohio Valley. We'll take a look at the temperature map. We got 66 down in San Antonio, 57 in Albuquerque, 34 up in Omaha, 44 St. Louis, 36 up in Chicago, 39 over New York, New York, 47 down in Orlando, 62 in Miami. 59 over in Los Angeles, San Francisco, 53 in Boise, 45. Seattle, Washington, not to be confused with Seattle, Idaho, 53 degrees, and Billings is 47. Look for highs in the 80s and 70s throughout most of the south and southwest. Gonna be a little bit cooler on the west coast today, and pretty nice up in the midwest. Upper 50s. Maybe even some lower 60s if you're lucky. If you're good all day long. 
Let's do some news, headlines and things. News, headlines and things. It's time for the news. What does it all mean? Headlines around the world. It's time for the news. Indiana Governor Mike Pence said he would support legislation to, quote, clarify the intent, end quote, of a new state law that has attracted widespread criticism over concerns it could allow discrimination against gay people. In an interview Saturday with the Indianapolis Star, the Republican governor said he's been in discussions with the legislative leaders this weekend. He expects that a clarified bill will be introduced this coming week to the religious objections law he signed Thursday. Pence declined to provide details, but told the newspaper that making gay and lesbian Indiana residents a protected legal class is, quote, not on my agenda. Meanwhile, hundreds of people, some carrying signs reading, no hate in our state, gathered Saturday outside the Indiana State House for a boisterous rally against a new state law that opponents say could sanction discrimination against gay people. And oh no, GPS woes. Police say a driver apparently was following a GPS navigation system when he drove off the ramp of a demolished bridge that had been closed since 2009, killing his wife. Times of Munster reports that 51-year-old Zoha Hussein of Chicago died of burns after the car caught fire following the 37-foot plunge on Saturday into property owned by BP. Her 64-year-old husband survived. The Lake County Sheriff's Department spokeswoman Patricia Van Til says the road is marked with numerous barricades including orange barrels and cones. Large wood signs stating road closed with orange striped marking and concrete barricades across the road. Hussein blamed his GPS navigation device for the accident. And after two bodies were pulled from the rubble of a Manhattan apartment building collapse, authorities have shifted their focus to what caused the massive explosion and fire and the possibility that someone may have improperly tapped a gas line serving one of the buildings. Fire Commissioner David Negro said crews should reach the cellar level where the explosion took place by Monday. When we reach the level of the gas piping, the way the debris is removed will change so that those who will investigate the mechanics of what happened will have access to that without it being torn apart, he said. Names of two men found Sunday were not immediately released. Authorities believe they were the two men reporting missing after Thursday's explosion and fire that leveled three buildings and injured 22 people, including four critically. They were identified as... Moises Lucan, 26 years old, who worked inside a ground floor sushi restaurant, and Nicholas Figueroa, 23, a bowling alley worker who had been there on a date. In August, the utility workers had discovered that the gas line to the restaurant had been illegally tapped. According to uh, Consolidated Edison, the discovery led Con Edison to shut down gas service to the building for about 10 days while the building owner made repairs. Gas service was restored after the utility deemed it safe, the utility said. The stock market, the Dow indexes. Money, the money's and matters. Money's and matters, and money's and matters, and money's and matters. Where are your investments today? Let's track your stocks. Let's track your stocks. Let's track your stocks. Let's track your stocks. Mutual funds and lots of other things. 
United Health Group Incorporated's OptumRx agreed to buy Catamaran Corp, a provider of pharmacy benefit management services for about $12.8 billion in the company's largest purchase ever to add clients and improve its technology. United Health will pay $61.50 a share in cash, financing the acquisition with existing cash and new debt. Companies said in a statement that's 27% more than Schaumburg, Illinois-based Catamaran's closing share price of $48.32 on Friday. And a handful of billionaires are quietly dumping their American stocks, and fast. Warren Buffett, who has been a cheerleader for U.S. stocks for quite some time, is dumping shares at an alarming rate. He recently complained of, quote, disappointing performance, end quote, and dyed-in-the-wool American companies like Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble & Kraft Foods. Buffett's holding company, Berkshire Hathaway, has been drastically reducing its exposure to stocks that depend on consumer purchasing habits purchasing habits. Berkshire sold roughly 19 million shares of Johnson & Johnson and reduced its overall stake in, quote, consumer product stocks, end quote, by 21%. Berkshire Hathaway also sold its entire stake in California-based computer parts supplier Intel. With 70% of the U.S. economy dependent on consumer spending, Buffett's apparent lack of faith in these companies' future prospects is worrisome. One day I sat thinking, almost in despair. A hand fell on my shoulder and a voice said reassuringly, Cheer up. Things could get worse. So I cheered up and, sure enough, things got worse. James Haggerty said this. And the word of the day is... Saturnine. It is indeed an adjective. It means sluggish, gloomy, or cold. From the Latin Saturninus of Saturn, from the ancient belief in astrology that those born under the planet Saturn's supposed influence had its characteristics. Since Saturn was the farthest known planet at the time, it was believed to be the slowest and the coldest. The planet received its name after the Roman god of agriculture. The earliest documented use was 14 and 33. This Saturnine assessment of the world's economic predicament had been whispered about in worried tones for months now in the word of high finance, Felix Martin of Real Money, the new statesman London, UK. The death of his adorned father sinks the Saturnine Turner into an even deeper gloom. Vieren's life was one of hardship, disappointment, handicap, and horror, all expressed in this murky organ music full of sickly harmonies and Saturnine sonorities. A little alliteration there. On one wall is green glowing Saturnine self-portrait of Andy Warhol. And Defoe is jagged and Saturnine. As he lopes and leers, he looks as if he could swallow up the stage. And here's a bonus thought for the day. One may have a blazing hearth in one's soul, and yet no one ever comes to sit by it. Vincent van Gogh said this. He was a painter. He lived from March 1853 to 1890. And you know you gotta learn something today to make your life better. The more you know, the more you know, you'll make your life better. And you know you gotta learn something today to make your life better. The more you know, you'll make your life better. Today I learned, you'll make your life better.
I learned that a set of 19 questions such as do we have the right patient and what operation are we performing can reduce surgical deaths by more than 40%. The Safe Surgery Checklist, developed in collaboration with the World Health Organization in 2008, has become recognized as the global standard of care. The simple act of a surgical team stopping to answer a set of 19 questions such as do we have the right patient and what operation are we performing? has been proven to reduce deaths by more than 40% and complications by one-third. Gawande and his colleagues have applied a similar approach to the Safe Childbirth Checklist. A pilot study conducted in a South India childbirth center found that the checklist program dramatically improved health workers' adherence to 29 essential clinical practices such as rates of appropriate hand hygiene during the first vaginal exam from one to 98%, and the rate of use of a sterile blade to cut the umbilical cord from 12% to 99%. Team is launching a randomized trial to test the checklist in 120 rural and urban hospitals in India, and is working with four other countries to launch population-wide implementation and evaluation programs to the checklist. Well, that sounds pretty good to me. Today in history, a lot of things have happened. The moon. Maybe a baby was saved by a baboon. We'll get to the bottom of this and much, much more on Today in History. I'm waking up with Danny. It's Today in History. Today is the grass is always browner on the other side of the fence day. What the hell? Today is also National Doctors Day. Today is National I Am In Control Day. National Pencil Day. Today is also Take a Walk in the Park Day and Turkey Neck Soup Day. <laughs> On this day in history, in 1981, President Reagan was shot and wounded by John W. Hinckley III. Albert Einstein announced he revised his unified field theory in 1953. In 1932, Amelia Earnhardt is the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. In 1909, Queensboro Bridge opens, linking Manhattan and Queens. And in 1867, U.S. buys Alaska from Russia for $7.2 million. Births and deaths. People were born and died today. Danny talking about life and death. In 1979, Nora Jones was born. 1964, Tracy Chapman was born. In 1957, Paul Reiser was born and made the world giggle since ever since. In 1947, Eric Clapton was born. He's been making music ever since. 1937, Warren Beatty was born. People also died. In 2005, Don Rose, an American entertainer, died. 2004, Alistair Cook, American journalist, also dead. In 1993, Jeremy Segrist, an actor. He starred in The Adventures of Darlie and Sammy. He died hiking at 20 years old. In 1986, James Cagney, an actor from Yankee Doodle Dandy, dies in New York at 86 years old. In 1976, Jacqueline... Royard Sandberg, an actress from Hostage Rights, dies at 99. In 1975, Peter Bam, a writer, also dies. 
Lucien Bianchi, Belgian auto racer, died at 34 in 1969. And in 1945, Carol Moore, a composer, died at 71. In 988, the year 988 A.D., Arnulf II, Court of Flanders, from 965 to 988, died. And in 1202, Joachim van Fuhr, an Italian religious founder, also died. Every day is born a new hero. He faces adversary with a mighty sword. torches, men traverse the galaxy, shining light into the darkness, searching for a new hope for their people. For a century, men searched, and a century later, humanity found the hope they were looking for. They found a new world, a habitat suitable for their own. So they returned to Earth with the news, another world for the taking, more fruit ripe for picking. Their people threw themselves to the scientists and engineers of their generation, the scientists and engineers build a vessel to carry humans beyond the home they once knew and into a land no earthling had ever laid eyes on. A few select board the craft and begin their voyage. Their departure is played up to ridiculous extremes. These men and women became gods in the eyes of men. However, upon arrival to the new world, they encounter an issue. Their newly claimed world has, in fact, already been claimed by a people unknown to humanity. This should have been a riveting discovery, a discovery that would change how humans view the universe. However, the hero men and women purposely provoke the naturally beautiful and peaceful, curious indigenous beings, and the beings instinctively retaliate. A report is sent back to their Earth-dwelling superiors, and it is known now that the land they once thought was theirs for the taking is populated by savage, hostile beasts. The beasts attacked the brave men and women of Earth on sight. Proper measures were taken to rectify the situation. Rage spreads like a plague on Earth. How dare these beasts 
endanger our heroes, our saviors, our gods. People once again throw themselves, but this time to the governments, the militaries of their generation. The answer is simple, war. So the humans construct an armada of vessels to carry Earth's finest to reclaim their rightfully conquered land out from the cosmos. For a decade, war rages on the new planet. Twice a year every year, the humans send troops to bolster the war effort. World superpowers pour cash into the war like a waterfall into the bottomless lake. The people of Earth begin to face the consequences of their newly allocated funds. Times are hard. Every family must ration each consumable item once held dear to their hearts. But not a single person complains, because surely their suffering directly affects the cause. They teach their children about the savages fighting our soldiers, lesser beings devoid of morals, empathy, and love. They teach their children to hate and to fear the savages. One boy in particular is so invigorated that he makes it a goal of his to ship off and join the fight as soon as he can. Three years later, at the ripe age of 16, the boy boards a vessel along with 50,000 other soldiers and begins his trek to the battlefield. When the boy arrives, he takes a look around and immediately realizes that things are not as advertised. There is no war, there are no savage beasts, and there is no raging battle they are waging. There is, however, an extermination of massive proportions underway. The boy quickly realizes the native beings are not a fighting people. Bullets fly in one direction only, and that is away from the humans. The boy is appalled by his revelations and is quick to share them. So he tells his peers that the war they fight is no war at all, that they are not the soldiers, they are pest control. The native life forms do not attempt to fight back in the slightest, and yet they carry on with their relentless slaughter. The boy's peers listen. They listen and absorb every word the boy says. The boy is then mocked. He is ridiculed and he is framed as a sympathizer. He seeks out a higher power just to be shot back to the ground. He doesn't give up his fight and is disliked more and more amongst his peers. One day, during an explosives test, the boy was tasked with placing the charges. Before he had a chance to get far enough away, the soldier in charge of the test hit hit the detonator prematurely. It was an accident, the squad says. Innocence and consequence were incinerated and morality was lost. And somehow, when the war was over, humanity further spun their web in another hundred years they moved on. That was Manifest Destiny by a Reddit user named Pepsi Minimum. And that's going to do it for this week's Waking Up with Danny. Hope you'll join me next week for another exciting episode. Until then, 